Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeRandall.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Ask Mike Rhino Show, we talk about unique pelvis structures, we talk about persistent quad atrophy after surgery, and we talk about stretching people with shoulder impingement. The Ask Mike Rhino Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ask Mike Reinold Show. I am up in Boston at Champion PT and Performance. I have, we're going to mix it up. I'm here with Dan Pope, Dave Tilly, Le- Lenny McCreen. <laughs> I'm here. Mike, the Scoobs from Scoob. Northeastern University, here to ask us some questions. Um, you know, again, guys, thanks so much for having a blast here. You know, you know, the last few episodes, we've really enjoyed your great questions. So keep asking away. Go to MikeReynolds.com, click on that podcast link, uh, and ask away, man. We, you know, this is we're having fun. We've been doing this for a year now. Whoa. You know, so you know, most of us, you know, you guys jumped in a little bit late, but we've been doing we've been doing it about a year now, and. And still enjoying it, so hopefully you guys are a little uh, little bite of information for you to take throughout the day, maybe, you know, right? Scoobs, what do we got for awesome questions today? First awesome question, Evan from Colorado. I'm currently a strength coach for powerlifters while I'm working on getting into PT school. Have you ever experienced a patient with a structurally tall pelvis experience chronic experiencing chronic patellar pain due to the fact that the length makes glutes activate harder? If so, any questions? This is like Pope 10 years ago. (laughs) Kind of of two questions there, too. So let's talk about does, I mean, does a taller pelvis change anything to you? That's what I'm not really sure. I've never really heard that. Longer femur. Longer femur. Theoretically, if you have a tall pelvis, you probably have a tall glute. And a long femur, but you probably—I mean, the glute just—it's. I, I can't imagine you have a, sh- a small glute with a tall pelvis. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's the problem? What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it actually makes it difficult to fire the glute. It makes it difficult to fire the glute. Yeah. Well, um, a longer moment I'm going to overcome, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, let's ask that question: Does a tall pelvis inhibit glute? Yeah, so I, I don't know if the, the tall pelvis necessarily inhibits it, but that's probably one of the last things I would start thinking about if someone can right. fire the glutes yeah. properly, you know. Uh, probably look at the front side of the hip, see what's going on in the front of the hip, see if they have any limitations in extension, right? And then maybe see if they can they can actually fire the glute through a full range of motion, you know, something like prone leg lift, like you see in the SFMA. Um, see if they're having trouble when they do things like glute bridges, they're actually feeling it in the glute musculature, you know. Um, and those would be the first place I would look. And then once the person can start to fire the glutes properly and like a glute bridge, and they're feeling that muscle work, then I would just progress up through some more um, uh, specific exercises, more similar to lifting, you know. Maybe some uh, some tall kneeling, um, hip extension, followed that by some, some pull-throughs, and then maybe some deadlifts at the end. And just make sure the athlete is using their glutes. Um, but, you know, I apologize. Do you guys have some? Yeah, that, that would be the last thing I'd look for. Oh, yeah. I would say maybe, like, yeah. I said, if, like Mike said, if it's a taller person, maybe just a lift to start would be more advantageous to set them on a little bit of that elevation. Yeah, I mean, a tall, long person, I mean, technically a biomechanical disadvantage, right? I mean, some people are good at certain lifts than others just based on body type. So, you know, I mean, yeah. that, that might be just part of it there. It's just a tall, longer leg person. 
Yeah. I'm curious where what lift. I mean, if you can get back to it at some point, like what lift and why do you think that's happening? You know. Um, nice tweet, Dan. What's your Twitter handle? Fitness pain free. So, so at at fitness pain free. <laughs> Send Dan some follow up questions. I want to get in on this question. Dan Dan's intrigued. He yeah, wants to keep this curious. He wants to answer this. Awesome. So to be continued, Scoobs. Karen from Wyoming. Hi, Mike. Thanks for all the info you put out. I just listened to your answer to a podcast question about quad atrophy and wanted to ask a follow-up for that. What advice do you have for someone who's had quad atrophy for three years and strongly developed avoidance patterns due to an ACL rehab gone bad, stubbornness, and mountain guiding? <laughs> I like that. In mountain guiding, like that's your profession, or uh, yeah, right. So, well, no, actually, I'm glad you actually put that part in there because you were stubborn, bad, whatever you want to call it, and you returned probably back to your activities, which is probably a lot of activities on on a weak quad. It's uh, yeah, that's. I don't know why you have still a weak quad. Is it that you're lacking extension in the knee that'll contribute to not being able to get the quad back? Um, we not pushed enough in the advanced rehab state. Yeah. Right, we're not, not doing the right enough. stuff right yeah. now. I mean, you hate to say it, but did you have a femoral nerve block, and there's some neuro thing underlying going on that you need to have further assessed? Because if your quad's not coming back three years later, I mean, we sometimes have seen that in, in some ACLs, and I blame PTs because we don't we don't know how to progress people into that phase four, so to speak. But I would look at those things, make sure you have your motion, make sure your nerves are functioning correctly. And then if that's the case, then maybe find a local PT. Maybe you need to do like blood flow restriction stuff that's opening a whole can of worms. Uh, whether or not that's gonna be helpful for, for you uh, to try to get your quads to uh, hypertrophy. And then you really yeah. got to load it again. Yeah, you, know? you got you to get in the gym. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that, that's probably part of it. I mean, it's not weird to have prolonged weakness. And if right. it's a year out and you have prolonged weakness, which is which is not uncommon, yeah. and you don't address it, then yeah, that becomes two, three, four, five years because you, you still haven't addressed it. Right. So, um, you know, you'll you'll continue to, to get better, I guess. But. I would say a caveat too is I think a lot of PTs are really good at loading bilateral exercises, but don't load up the single leg exercises. It's heavy, so step ups, lunges, you know, single leg squats for box. Like people usually like jump into front squats and back squats like killing it with a goblet squat but you got to make sure that the asymmetry is you know reduced before you start going heavy on a double load yeah. exercise yeah it's like personal how many patients you see that actually go through a thorough strength and conditioning program and put the time and effort in that you need to, to gain the strength back up to 70 80 yeah. percent yeah. Uh, we, we've had athletes come to us four months after surgery and they're still doing three sets of ten of like straight leg raises and stuff like that it's amazing so yeah you you know you gotta that's like the first month you know and then you got to progress from there Awesome. Scoobs. Samantha from Georgia. Hi, y'all. Can you please explain your technique on stretching a patient with shoulder impingement? I try to stretch posterior via crossbody and also stretch the lat, more sagittal. My problem is when a patient complains about a pinch in these movements. How do you go about stretching while avoiding a pinch? I've seen where people distract laterally with bands but feel like this is more addressing the capsule rather than the muscle. Right. Who wants to start on that one there? I would say sometimes you have to reverse engineer the total motion and see what could hang up along the way. And then sometimes we just stretch the motion, not realizing there's like four or five muscle groups that really have to extend well. 
to get to your end range comfortably. So looking at each one, I kind of do like a test retest, which I think all of us kind of do is like when you see a limited kind of treat one, retest it, treat one, retest it, rather than just keep cranking the end range. And you you're know. saying treat it via like soft tissue yeah, techniques soft tissue or something? Yeah, like exactly. Not more stretching. Sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, so if you have impingement with overhead elevation, we'll say, I don't think the first thing I would do is stretch them into overhead elevation. That's a big self-mobility thing on the internet. You, just, you know, grab a band, distract your arm, and jam it up. You don't have overhead elevation? Good. Jam it up there. That'll get it. That makes no sense. Right? So right. figure out why you don't have that elevation and work on that and stop stretching them into a pinch. That's that's the body telling you that you're you're encroaching, you're impinging the inflamed tissue. Um, you know, figure out the source. But she, yeah, exactly. I, that was it. She said it in her in her uh, question that people think that they have to put bands to stretch the capsule. Maybe you do need to stretch the capsule. If they have impingement, I'm going to guess they're 30, 40, 50 years old. You know, they're in that age group where you start maybe seeing a little more capsular type stuff. So maybe they do have a capsular issue that you need to address. And then the soft tissue, and then the motion may come. So I would yeah. look at all that. You check their their passive range. You check their accessory motion of the joint to see if you can find those things. And, you, and then you try to treat. Like I always start soft tissue first, and then reassess the range of motion because that's the the easiest. It's the safest. You're not torquing anything, and oftentimes that's enough, right? All of a sudden the pinch goes away because you've freed up some motion or whatever it may be. So I would do you know passive range, soft tissue, passive range again, see if you still pinch. Then go to your joint accessory stuff if you have to. But the last thing I would do is just jam it up there. That's like saying, you know, like, well, you know, every time I hit my head against the wall, I get a headache. You know, maybe I should keep hitting my head against the wall to treat that. Is that a bad analogy? Yeah, that's pretty good. It was accurate. So, it was accurate. It was a bad analogy, but an accurate. Well. <laughs> yeah, I have a headache this morning and bang my head against the wall. Also, error of mine as a younger therapist was not looking at the thoracic spine with some a general population older right. person. If they lay on their back and they're very kyphotic and you're trying to yeah. get there, you, sometimes you like work on T spine and lay someone sideline. Things change. So that yeah, out. figure yeah, figure out why they motion. lost the motion. Yeah, scat motion is for sure. Don't just work to it. So that so we we, we kind of get mad at the you know the self mobility fitness crowd all the time that just jams it up there and grabs a band and jams it up there. We kind of get mad at that. But you know clinically, like with rehab specialists, we could do that too if we're being knuckleheads and just keep jamming it into the the impinged tissue. You know, you either didn't find the true cause of why they lost motion, or, or you're you know you jumped right to stretching, but free up the soft tissue, free up the capsule. Yeah. That sort of stuff. I think sometimes we jump straight to soft tissue stuff because you see a lot of baseball players, so it's still common really well. Um, but I think looking, like Dave said, at the thoracic spine, right. looking also at the scapula, see what's going with that. Um, a lot of times you maybe work the upper back and the pinch goes away too. So um, work what you need and, and use your treatment sometimes as figuring out where the problem lies. Right. Yeah, and, and use Dave's approach. Kind of, you know, work soft tissue, work thoracic, work scap, work all, work all these things, but keep reassessing, and you, you'll figure out which one gives you the most bang for your buck. Good job, y'all. Awesome, yeah, y'all. Thanks, y'all. That's it. Scoobs, good work. Good job. Scoobs crushed it. Awesome. Thanks again, guys. We appreciate it. Um, go to MikeRendell.com, click on that podcast link, and keep asking away at some awesome questions. And do us a big favor, go to iTunes, rate and review this podcast, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeRinald.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeRinald.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. 
And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.